Hi, I'm Jen, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this podcast deals with the hard stuff in life. We share stories of trauma and triumph, and the subject matter may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for content warnings and take care of yourself. If you want to further support what we're doing, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nowwhatpod. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, and welcome back to Now What. I am Jen, and I'm here with Tisha. And we are being joined today by Mel FP. And Mel is the first person to fill out our guest application on our site. And I have to tell you, we were so excited. And it did leave Jen and I wondering a little bit if we're becoming sadists because she wrote a little bit about her story. And we were excited that she was willing to share that. And not excited about what happened, but excited that someone was willing to come and talk about this because what we're going to be talking about is something that affects so many women. And there are so few people who are willing to actually talk about it. So we are so grateful for Mel that she's here to tell us her story today. Hi, Mel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on our show. So I mean, I touched on it a little bit that you were going to maybe tell us a bit of a story about something that happened to you in the past. And, um, you know, that's, that's hard to talk about. And I think it could be hard for people to hear as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. In my experience, it's been very hard for people to, to hear about it. They kind of just want to acknowledge that and then move on and say, okay, but you're better now, right? Everything's okay now. And just, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we know we all, all of us know that life doesn't really work that way. No. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you start by telling us your story? Just kind of begin where you feel comfortable. Sure. So it started, I guess, when I went off to university, this was back in 2000 and oh gosh, dating myself. So 2003 or 2004, I guess, early 2000s. And uh, I was attending Trent University, had a great group of friends, was loving my life. Um, And this person that I ended up entering into a relationship with, he was actually one of the first people I met in Frosh Week. And I remember meeting him and thinking, oh, I don't like this guy. I just didn't like him. But then he was always kind of kicking around. So he kind of just started talking to me a lot and wore me down. And we ended up dating. Throughout the process of us dating, I didn't realize it until I looked back. He actually was very, very slowly isolating and manipulating me. So just tiny little things like he would comment on my appearance a lot and like, oh, you know, you don't really look good in that, but I think you look good. So always kind of making it so that I was only beautiful or smart or interesting in his eyes. And everyone else wouldn't think that of me. And I didn't, honestly, it's so interesting because I always thought of myself before this as such a strong woman who would never let someone walk all over her like that. And honestly, it just, I didn't notice it. It happened really slowly. I thought that he was this really smart, attractive guy who was interested in me and I was flattered. And he was really good at doing things really Slowly. subtle very subtle and 
two of my best friends from home had come up to visit me and to, and I was so excited for them to meet him and they just hated him right away. And what I learned after the fact was on their ride home, they kind of had this conversation where they're like, he's going to hit her. He's, he's actually going to physically hurt her. And they just got this feeling that he was not okay, but they were right to do so. They didn't tell me at the time. Mm -hmm. They just, I think they made it know that they weren't a fan of him, but not why. I didn't know why they weren't a fan of him. And so, you know, one night we'd been dating almost a year. It was his birthday and we were going out to a club and we had some drinks, went back to his house and he ended up, um, you know, (laughs) in the end, he sexually assaulted me and it was confusing and scary and isolating. And I think because leading up to that moment, you know, I remember being a teenager and watching an Oprah episode where Oprah had a, a survivor on and they were talking about, here's all the things that you need to do if someone assaults you. And I thought, oh gosh, I feel so bad for the guy who assaults me. I feel so bad for someone who tries to take advantage of me. In my mind, I was gonna do everything to fight back. And in reality, in that moment where this was happening, I completely froze. I Mm -hmm. stayed completely still as if I were like dead. Like I just, I don't know what happened. I guess it was shock, but I just didn't, I didn't fight back. I didn't do anything. I just. I think that's actually a relatively common response for women in these situations. If you actually, if -hmm. women are actually willing to talk about their experiences that you'll hear that again and again. Well, it, I mean, and this is someone you're in a relationship with, so that just yeah. has to be so, just so confusing. It was because I said that I didn't want to and that we were going to go to sleep. And so I turned over to go to sleep and I was starting to drift off and he, I guess he kept waiting for me to fall asleep. So he kept checking. He just kind of started and kept checking if I were awake and then he kept saying that I was not awake and that he liked that. And I was like, oh my God. And so it was just really scary and really confusing. Cause yeah, we'd been yes. dating for a year. I had no idea this was, this was just. Yeah. It shocking. wasn't someone you just met or that you no. didn't know very well. It was someone that you were in a relationship with for a year. And that I imagine that you trusted. Very much. And then, you know, when it was done, I was still there. I just lied there all night. I don't think I slept. I got up and I actually went to class with him. We did this thing. He suggested that we audit each other's classes. And the reason he did it is because he wanted to show me how much smarter he was than me. So he made me go to his like science classes and he went to my classes to tell me how ridiculous and nothing mine were. And he wanted me to go to his classes and show how little I knew about things. Terrible. Anyway, it was in that class we were sitting there and I leaned over to him and I was like, so I know what you did last night. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I was awake. And he was like, oh, aren't you sneaky? And he just kind of left it at that. And I was like, what? So I was really foggy and confused. And it wasn't Mm. until after that class I left and I was like, I don't want to be around you right now. And he was like, why? And I was like, I just, I don't feel right. And so I left and I went straight to my best friend at the time and I told him what had happened. And then I told someone else and it wasn't until about a day later that they were like, that's, 
that's sexual assault. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because back in that time, you know, now we talk about all of the ways that sexual assault looks like. It doesn't look always like a back alley, ripped clothes, beaten up kind of assault that you see in movies or on TV and that you often mostly hear about. Right. And that we're taught to fear, right? We're taught to protect yeah. ourselves and to fear that type of yeah. interaction. We're not taught to, to fear our partners. Exactly. This wasn't really something we talked about. It wasn't something I'd ever really heard of. And so it was extremely confusing for a long, long time. And I think part of it people around me were confused by what had happened to, and they were telling me that it wasn't assault. So some people would say it was, some people would say it wasn't, which once that's happened, it's so, just all the power you think you have walking around in your own body is just really stripped away. And so for people that I really trusted and loved to tell me that this wasn't an assault, really confused me and really messed me up because mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't, you know, after that, I, I couldn't shower alone. I couldn't be naked ever. I couldn't, I had panic attacks going out. Um, I just was not the same. And it was made worse because I felt like, why am I feeling this way? If this didn't happen, why am I feeling this way? If this was just like a weird night between me and my boyfriend, this is not a normal way to react then. So, you know, that happened in September and it took until March for me to actually go to the police and report something because it took me that long to really figure out that, no, no, this is And accept this is an that, assault. yes, this was an assault. This was not yeah. consensual. No, not at all. And in fact, that was part of what he enjoyed about it was that it was not consensual. So, right. so disturbing in and of itself. Yeah. Did you break up with him like in that time from September to March or were you? Yeah. So I broke up with him. So that happened on a Wednesday. I was confused all day Thursday. And then the Friday he came over to where I was living and I broke up with him and my two girlfriends from Toronto who always hated him, they drove up and they came to get me and I asked to go home. Oh, I wasn't living in Peterborough at the time. I was living back home. Right. Um, But I was visiting for his birthday And so I asked him, I asked them to come and pick me up and drive me home. I explained what had happened and they came right away Mm -hmm. and they were amazing. There was no, I told you so's there was no, there was no, like he was never a good guy. It was all support and all love. And it was really just exactly, exactly what I needed. So I broke up with him then, but then we entered this really weird period because there was so much confusion around what had happened. We never got back together, but we still talked. He sent me like, because it was true of the time he sent me a mixed CD. My dad got really angry at that. He didn't want him contacting me, but we were still kind of in touch through text and stuff. And ultimately later on, when I had gone to the police, that was actually used against me. When I did report it, I went with two of my friends. The first person that I told was called in to give a statement. And then the second person that I had told, who was my other best friend at the time, she And still to this day, I love her so much. She actually, he admitted it in front of her the day we hit, the day before we went to the police, he admitted he had done it. And so we took that and we went to the police. That was kind of the catalyst for the decision to go and report. But that, 
I had a male cop and a female cop and I'll never, the male cop just didn't believe me right away, right off the bat, just as soon as he found out. So I was, it was my boyfriend and I had been drinking. There was no respect for my story at all. So like you're not allowed to say no if you've been drinking or it's your boyfriend. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm just lying. I'm just, right. I'm just lying. Why didn't I come forward sooner? Why didn't I go right after it had happened? If that's really what happened, it was like all the classic, I don't know. I, I truly hope that we've gotten better since then and that we. I mean, I'd like to think so, but again, I do think that some of the things you're raising are the same things that, that people say today while she was mm-hmm. drinking, while it was her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Well, if mm-hmm. that happened, then why didn't she report it the next day? Why didn't she fight back? Why did she just lie there? Why did she like that yeah. a lot afterward? Why didn't you do anything? And it, you know, still to this day, thinking that I, I really thought that I, you know, you can have all the best intentions and be armed with all the knowledge and, you know, have pride and respect for your body. But in that moment, I just, I, I just, I couldn't do anything. I just really couldn't. So mm-hmm. And how about the, um, the female officer? Did you feel like you got a bit of a different response from her or? I loved her. She was great. She was the one, cause it was a fairly lengthy process after I reported it. He, he actually, his father was a, is I probably still a prominent member of the community. And so they got him a great lawyer right away. Um, yeah. They, yeah, used all of any conversations, texts, any kind of online conversations that I had had about like how much I still loved him and all these things. They used all of that against me. And so she was actually the one who called me when we found out that it it wasn't going to go forward any further than it already had. And I was crying and she went, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to put a restraining order against him. And just so you know, this is on his record. So if he is stopped for a speeding ticket in BC, this will come up. this has happened so if he does this to someone else this will strengthen their case against him and that will help so she said I was helping the next person but it made me really really angry but she was she handled it very well yeah I mean that would make you really angry Mm -hmm. that's great I'm gonna help the next person so in order for me to see justice he has to do this again yeah. And it be reported. And it be yeah. reported and somebody else feel the way that I am currently feeling. Yeah. It's <sighs> I feel I'm like it speaks so to the sorry. to yeah. the system mm-hmm. that that was the best she could do for you. It was, and I felt I kind of really felt for her because she she seemed so exhausted by it all. It must be really frustrating as a woman to be in that environment. And yeah. I know she believed me. I know she knows what happened. And, you know, that must be frustrating to be that, again, powerless in a situation. And yeah, I think, you know, just, yeah, it happened in September. And it it just took years for me to become, I don't know, I don't, not the same person I was before, but a version of myself that I could be proud of. There were years that I was not proud of who I was, that I was just really Oh, just so self-destructive and confused and angry. And that led to me treating people really poorly that I really love that didn't deserve that, that really didn't deserve that. And I think when I look back on that time, 
it is the thing I am the least proud of is the way that I treated the people, some of the people that I love the most. And they just, they didn't deserve that anger. I think I just Mm -hmm. had no trust left for anyone. I really didn't. It doesn't excuse it though. No, but I think part of the reason we're doing this is it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it does make sense. Like you had somebody in your life who you trusted so much that really violated that. Mm -hmm. And then how do you learn to trust people again? And how do you learn to not be angry? Yeah. And what do you do with that anger? How do you work through it? Right. Exactly. I mean, in my case, I just kind of partied and didn't come home very much. My beautiful best friends who had come up and driven me home that Friday and who were there for me, I was not a good friend to them for years. I missed really important moments in their lives because, and my family too, I was not a good daughter, a good sister. I think anyone from back home, anytime I would see them, it would be like a reality check. Like in Peterborough, I could live in like this little black hole of fun where I didn't have to think about anything that had happened. And I could just pour some booze on that and ignore it. But whenever I would see someone from back home, it would be like, oh no, there is a life outside of this. I have to deal with this. And I was for years really not ready to deal with any of it. And the longer I didn't deal with it, the worse it became. And so I really pushed people away and I'll... I will always regret that because, you know, there's very fortunately still some of my best friends today, but I'll never get those years back. And I, I'll never be right with that. I really value time a lot differently now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how, like, how do you get to a place where you can see that now and see the way that that impacted you and, and move from that? I think it was really, it was time. I really, you know, I got to a point in Peterborough where I just, I just hated, I just hated who I was. I really hated it. I hated that I was very codependent on whoever I was dating, but also didn't trust them. So it was a, it was a bizarre dynamic where I like would really love them one moment and then I would hate them the next. Um, I just wasn't happy. I was really unhappy for most of the time. And, you know, I remember like, I just kind of woke up one day and thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I want to be able to grocery shop by myself. I couldn't even do that. Like that's how bizarrely codependent I was. And I just, I just wanted to be a different person. And so I just went slow. I went really, really slow. So, you know, I would go and pick up a few things from the grocery store. And then I would spend like a half hour afterward applauding myself for doing that and validating that. And I just sat in it and went, you went to the grocery store by yourself and you didn't have anyone come with you and look at the food that you got and it's healthy food. And so like, I just took these moments to really validate all of the little things that I was doing independently and that were healthy and productive things. And Mm -hmm. eventually I didn't have to like pat myself anymore. I was just doing those things. And so it was a very slow process to get to a point where I was just starting to get more comfortable in my own skin again. And just, like I said, not the person I was before, 
but different and someone that I could be proud of. Jen and I have had this conversation about, you know, traumatic events that, Mm -hmm. you know, we often think we we're going to go, we want things to go back to normal. We want things to go Mm -hmm. back to the way that Mm -hmm. they were before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. often that's not really possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily going back to the way that they were before, but they can, you know, go forward into something that you're proud of. Right. So you have some you know, more stability and that type of thing, but you're not the same. Yeah. I think you go down, I was talking to someone about this today and just, it kind of just pushes you into a different direction when something happens that kind of just shakes your world. You know, Mm -hmm. you were plodding along, something happens, and then you're kind of shimmy down into this other path. And I think because there's been a lot of time and distance and a lot of good that has happened over the years since this right. has happened, I can see that there are good things down that path. It's not the path you were on, but there are good things down that path. And uh, I think that I wish I could have told myself that in all those unhappy years that be unhappy, be that, but know that there is something down that road. And it's, it's really quite beautiful. I mean, in my case, I met my husband because of that. I would never have met him. I wasn't supposed to be in Peterborough when I was ultimately, and then I met him and I have him and I have my kids. And Mm -hmm. I mean, and the friendships that I have now with a lot of the people who were there at the time in my life, I just have a real like respect for those relationships and I hold them in such high value now that honestly I I don't know that I would have because they were really tested and my trust was really tested and the people that were still there at the end of all of it I just I really really value them Mm -hmm. so how do you go from those little steps of you know going to the grocery store on your own to being in a place where you're even able to form a relationship with somebody that leads to marriage and have that kind of trust that that requires. So Evan, my wonderful husband came into my life just as I was starting to kind of do these validation exercises. So about six months before I met him, I started doing that. So I was in a more healthy place when I met him, not quite there yet, but more healthy, but I still, I realized about a month into our relationship that I was still not in a place where I was healthy in a relationship. I was not, I would love, and then I would really push away and I wasn't trusting. And early on that happened with us where uh, he did something so innocuous that like, I don't even remember what it was, but it was so innocuous. And I broke up with him because I just like, it like triggered me and I, I couldn't deal with it. And he was deeply confused and it, I wasn't in a place where I could explain my behavior properly because I still didn't quite have a handle on my mental health. And so honestly, I I don't know why, but he just kind of persisted and stuck with it. He just, I guess, (laughs) saw something that was worth it. And thank God, because I would have just walked away, honestly. But he, he really stuck around and really showed me just time and time again how he was someone I was worth trusting and someone that I could be healthy with. And all of the things that I would, do that were unhealthy in a relationship, like stop communicating or pick a fight or all of these things. He just was having none of it. And he was like, no, 
you're not going to pick a fight with me about this. If you want to fight, you can fight with someone else. I'm not that person. And I was like, huh. Or when I wouldn't communicate with him, when I was angry about something and I would shut down, he'd be like, nope, you're going to talk to me or else we're not going to do this. And I was like, huh. So he just kind of, he almost forced me to like stop doing these self-destructive things. But yeah, also sounds like almost teaching you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like completely. Oh, completely. He's just a really healthy person who enjoys healthy, productive conversations. He's very no nonsense. And he just honestly just wants to promote happy, healthy conversations. And he, it was just exactly the person that I needed. And I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm so grateful he stuck with it because I must've been a project for the first couple of years. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I, I love that um, analogy you made about the path and how you get sent down a different one. And even though it's not the path you were on, it kind of, you can see that there's good things on that path too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a good way of, of explaining what I was trying to say. You did it in a much better way. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it kind of um, echoes of the whole, I don't know if we had spoken about this earlier um, in earlier conversations or not, but it's come up many times with people we've spoken about the whole idea of silver linings, mm-hmm. which um, I don't really love that phrase, but um, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of, I think it, your your uh, phrase there about how there's good on that different path is I think it satisfies both sides of the argument people who like that phrase and people like me who don't yeah I think it's just I think the whole experience really taught me that you have to let yourself feel things you just have to in a healthy way and don't move on before you're ready but also know that when you're ready you control that you 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 kind of like for me anyway, in that situation, it was me, you know, deciding, okay, I'm going to, this is what I need to get out of this. I need to give myself these healthy validating steps to come out of this. I need to, I need to do this. And, you know, in my case, that took years and years to get to the point where I was ready even to do that. But yeah, I, I just do think that you're, there's a way out. There's a way out of it all. And yeah, I think like you said, Tisha, it's not going to look the same, but there most definitely can be a lot of beauty on the other end and even through. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, go, go ahead, Tisha. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I know just the whole idea of, of feeling your feelings. That's a big, um, a big thing for, for mm-hmm. me personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, just even in in our home here you know how you have to feel your feelings and sometimes they're hard personally i no feelings are bad feelings for us and yeah you you just have to feel them you know if you have to cry you have to cry and i yeah. you know you can't and i think it sounds like evan is pretty magical in that you you referred to yourself as a project mm-hmm. but like you didn't need fixing do you know what i mean you that's nice <laughs> you <laughs> well i mean i didn't know you then but i don't you know like i i struggle with the idea of like fixing someone so it, it was more you know what i mean you needed to move through it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, no, and be I supported com- in doing that. Yeah. Yes. And I completely agree with you. And I may have misrepresented here. No, he no, no. I don't. I, no, I know that. No, I'm not saying that you said that. I didn't think that you meant that, but no. that he, but that he was so, that he wasn't trying to fix you. He was yeah. trying to help you move through it. I think he was just patient while I kind of did what I needed to do, which was yeah. sometimes have like, my toddler moments where I was just flying off the handle. And then when I was done, he would just say, that's not a healthy way to deal. I, I don't want to be around that. And I was like, well, okay, that's fair. Okay. That's, that's totally yeah. fair. And just, I think, yeah, he kind of almost nudged me in just a more healthy direction in how to process these emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, I was just kind of whirling around and <laughs> just kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying to find anything that felt good. And just as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking about you not allowing yourself to feel all of the feelings, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, you had people in your life who were telling you that wasn't a sexual assault. So I, I, I'm trying to, you know, put myself in that position. Well, how do I, well, why do I feel this way then? And how do I allow myself to feel sad when people in my life who I care about are telling me that I don't have a right to feel that way? Yeah, no, when you absolutely do. Exactly. It's really, yeah, it's really confusing. And the people who were, you know, telling me that I ultimately actually, I think most of them have come around on that and change their tune about that. But in the beginning, I think it really was on their part too, a lot of shock, just a lot of like, oh, that's no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with that being a reality for the person that I love. That is not a thing that I think they were ready to process either. Mm-hmm. And so and a person that they knew had done that. Yeah. No. Yeah. A person that they had let into their home that they'd had dinner with, like they, that was a lot to handle. And then I was a lot to handle as a result. And so, yeah, I think it just kind of went around and around because the more we all tried to suppress it, the worse I got. Mm -hmm. But, you know, ultimately that's, you know, there were resources available to me and I just, I don't think I was ready because I really was for so long, just so confused about all that and really ashamed. And I I find that's a, a very common theme with survivors is there's so much shame and embarrassment around this and just just almost like a dissociation because it just doesn't feel like it didn't feel like me it didn't feel like something that I would do or a situation that I would be in or you know because no one thinks that they would be and so when you are it's it's really it's really isolating it's really lonely and and then to have people questioning whether it actually happened or not oh yeah that sucks it sucks so much or when people tried to diminish it because you know I don't know because it wasn't you know a back alley with bruises and yeah and this is someone you've had consensual sex with before exactly exactly so So is it that bad yeah 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 like I I don't believe that I'm just (laughs) no 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 totally (laughs) obviously right and especially back then that was a much more prevalent attitude because really we just truly didn't hear a lot of stories like this we didn't really hear about these quiet stories where you know it wasn't newsworthy it was you know 
not in yeah. the hospital. It was just kind of me on my own. And yeah. Well, I think a lot of the shame that is so common is because, I mean, and I hope this is changing, but I'm, I, I'm not sure that it, how much it has, but that you, as a woman, you brought it on yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's so much of that at the time. Absolutely. The, what I, down to what I was wearing. The, the male cop asked me what I was wearing and exactly how much did I have to drink. And yeah, it's, a, it's just a whole thing that if something happens to a woman, it's the woman's fault and not the person perpetrating it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then separately, just going back to the idea of feeling your feelings, I think we all kind of grew up in a, in a, I mean, it depends on parenting, but I think it was common, like, you know, stop having your tantrum, don't cry in public, stop crying, you know, and that's just, Mm -hmm. I think that's just what it was, you know, man up, you're okay, kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So you have both of these things that are ingrained in you, plus people externally saying to you, well, I don't know that that's really, that it is what you're saying it is. And you definitely don't talk about these uncomfortable topics outside of the home if you're even, you know, encouraged to talk about them within the home. Exactly, right? Right? Like so many people have these like tragic things happen and everybody in the family knows that it happened. And it's like, it happened and we shall never speak of it again. Yep. It is a deeply uncomfortable topic for people to talk about. Mm -hmm. Just on the surface, it's about sex. And a lot of people are just, not comfortable talking about consensual sex, let alone non-consensual sex. Yeah. So I would, you know, share details about the story and it would like really with some people would, oh God, like they just did not want to know. And that made me shut that down too. Cause I thought, okay, that contributes to the shame of it then, because, you know, why can't I share that, you know, he crudely took a towel and wiped me up afterwards and then tossed the towel onto me. Why can't I share that? Why do I need to be ashamed of that? And why do you need to shut me down when I try to share that? Mm. Because for me, that's what happened. And for me, that contributed to a lot of the shame and distaste that I had for my body for years, Mm -hmm. years and years and years. It contributes to why everything got so sideways. And that's how that is. And it is hard to hear. And, yeah. you know, you're sharing this story with me. And just when you said that, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, I know. It's like, it's this, gross. That's it's awful. Yeah. Like it's disgusting. Yes, it is. But that happened to you. And that's mm-hmm. the truth of it. And what mm-hmm. happened to you is awful. Well, and what happened to right? you is not something that you need to be ashamed of. Right. He yeah. should be ashamed of that. He should. And I hope further, furthermore, <laughs> you know, we've talked about this before we're recording this podcast and initially we had asked you like you know those friends who said they didn't like him like mm-hmm. would it have made a difference if they said anything or what could they have done differently and I remember you were kind of like I don't think it would have changed anything mm-hmm. if they said anything mm-hmm. and then that sort of led us into this discussion around well why is it on your friends to say something? What mm-hmm. about his friends? What mm-hmm. were they saying about the way that he spoke to his girlfriend? Right? Like, why is the onus on you and your friends to have maybe done something or said something differently? Differently. Yeah. 
why isn't the onus on him to be better? Why isn't the onus on him to not be a jackass and do that? Like, well, and then on my girls. No, it's not. And then it even leads to a greater discussion to what happened to him Mm -hmm. that he grew into this man. Yeah. And I mean, he had his own past trauma and, you know, I think one of the things that distance and time has allowed me to gain perspective on is he is a person and he is a multidimensional person. And yes, he did something that I will never, ever forget that ultimately has in some ways just scarred me for life. But that is not the only thing that he is either. I know about his past trauma. I know that there are other parts of him because he, he is a person and the hope that I have is that the person part of him and the sides that are, I think, good, I hope that this experience, unfortunately, showed him a side of himself that is really dark and really ugly. And I hope that he ultimately got the help that he needed to deal with his own pain Mm -hmm. and that he never, ever did something ever close to this again. It, It all just leads to a greater discussion to what kind of supports are available to people in general, to children, to parents Mm -hmm. who are struggling parenting their children that, Mm -hmm. you know, like it just, it's kind of a vicious circle that, Mm -hmm. that, um, and again, not my, my questioning it, you know, what he had been through. It doesn't absolve him from what he did at all, but it, it makes you wonder how as a society are we raising boys into men that do things like this. Absolutely. And when I was talking about the way that I am not proud of how I treated some of the closest people in my life after that happened, just because something bad happens to me also doesn't give me permission to treat someone else poorly. It just doesn't. And no. And so I think with him, it's the same kind of thing, right? Like that we have to at some point recognize when something happens to you, that has to stop with you. You that that cannot trickle into other people in your life, and that is the lesson I hope that he took from it. But you're you're right, Jen. I think that it's really important that we're, and it's part of the reason that I really wanted to do this because I'm aware that this is, you know, going to be on the internet, and it is something that my husband and I have talked about before we had kids about the fact that in age appropriate ways I will share this with my kids and. You know, don't necessarily need to have graphic details with them, but I do want them to understand that this can happen. And for both of my kids, for my boy and my girl, I want them to understand what can happen. And then I also want them to understand the way that you do not treat someone, because I don't think that he thought that he would do this either. I don't think that he sat there as a little boy thinking I'm going to hurt a girl someday. You know, it's, it's a slow progression to get to that place, I would imagine. And so if you start having feelings that you're not dealing with, if you start having anger or frustration about things in your life, you have to deal with those things before they impact someone else. And so it's for both my kids, there's just a lot of lessons to be learned from something like this, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to how you said, you know, your your loved ones and friends didn't deserve to be treated badly because you had been through something badly. Um, I think we talked about this too uh, previous before this recording. Um you know, like we're, we're all striving to do better than our parents or their parents or whatever. And, and with the idea that we didn't grow up in a time where you were encouraged to feel your feelings. 
so you were numbing your feelings, but my, my kids, our family therapist does a great thing where in, in our first um, appointment, she blew up a balloon and she's like, what happens if I keep blowing air into this balloon? It's going to pop. So you keep holding those feelings in and they keep piling up on top of each other. It's going to pop out at some point. And in your case, in your situation, um, which is completely understandable to me, it was in an anger way that you exploded all over everybody when things were not, when you were feeling too much that you didn't want. I really like that balloon. That's a good, that's a really good analogy, especially something, it's something kids can get behind too, right? That's really smart. Yeah. And it, you know, like you can't hold it all in or it's gonna pop, it's gonna explode. Right. Or just numb them by, right? Like you, but that's the thing you can, you you can only numb them so far, right? You numb them and then you explode. So you go, you Mm -hmm. get stuck in this, which it sounds like you were kind of vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We do that in our house. We, with my, he's almost three and he's in, you know, his two stages and we're in a pandemic, so he's been extremely isolated. So that's been a journey up and down in the emotional roller coaster. Yes. But we do the same thing where we're like, yeah, buddy, you're mad right now. And that's okay. You know what? Why don't you be mad? And I'm here to hug. If you need a hug to help you get through your anger, I will hug you. If you need to go off and sit in the chair by yourself, you do that. And we just like talk a lot about all the feelings that he's having. And we never try to stop him from being angry like he obviously can't be destructive but like if he's just mad then then be mad babe that's fine like it's well we we even have it with us because sometimes depending on the situation your anger can get that big yeah it can so we have safe spaces or things that we can do when we feel destructive that's smart that's really smart like ripping your bed apart you know And it's really funny because one day my son was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I go, that's an okay thing to do. You can feel that way. You're going to feel that way sometimes, I imagine, because mommy does. And you can do that because you're not hurting anyone. And it's a fixable thing. That's Um, smart. I like that. It allows them to get it out because you're right. Sometimes it does get so big that you just need to like. It has to get out in some way, right? And sometimes like the screaming or the yelling doesn't work. You know, Mm -hmm. you can run, you can, there's all kinds of things you can try and it's different for everyone. But, you know, it's these kinds of conversations, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. it just goes back to like the root of what we're doing here. And, 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 and even like goes back to what you were saying about, you know, no feelings are bad feelings because I feel like I maybe grew up in a bit of a way more where like there were good feelings and there were bad feelings, like sad, angry, scared. Those are bad feelings. And then you have your good feelings and like the good feelings are okay. And the good feelings are okay to share. And the good feelings are what you want to be feeling all of the time. And like, let's not try to feel those other things, but sometimes you feel those other things. Mm-hmm. And then how do we allow ourselves to feel those things and be constructive about it, right? Like, it's okay to be angry. It's what you do when you're angry or, right? It's okay to feel sad. That's yeah. part of you're... being human, right? We have these whole, we have a whole gamut of emotions. It's like Inside right? Out, the movie, Inside Out. Yeah, they're all in there. <laughs> Exactly. No, I think, I think you're both really right in that that was, I think, yeah, we all grew up similarly, right? That was just a product of the time. That was, I think, a, the way our parents were raised too, that, you know, I think in our case, that our parents were raised more strict than they were with us. And, yeah. you know, they thought they were being lenient. And so I'm sure our kids' generation will, of course, have another way of doing it. But and I, I they'll do They'll blame like, us for it. <laughs> completely. 
but I love that we're talking about it and that there's, and, and that was what I was saying to my girlfriend earlier today was just like, at the time that this happened, in my case, it's just, we just didn't talk about this in this way. We just really didn't. And it just was not a conversation, you know, and then when Me Too came up a couple of years ago, I went, oh my gosh, this is, I knew this is all of us, but like, we're saying it now. We're actually going to tell people. And it's so interesting whenever you hear a man only online, like I've, I don't know any men that have said this, but uh, when I've seen a comment of a man saying like, I, you know, I just don't know how to talk to a woman now. I don't know how to take a woman on a date now. I have to be so careful. And it's like, I mean, you just have to be a person. You just <laughs> like, have to be a person and, and treat them like a we, human. Yeah. Like, do you understand what we deal with, with our keys in our hands? Do you know yeah. that we've grown up thinking you have to walk with your keys in your hands? You think like, you have to be careful? Yeah, I know. Shut up. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so... <laughs> It's so true. And I, you worked for a hotline for a while, right? I did. That was part of my way of dealing with it. Um, I didn't take to counseling, which I should have pushed through more. I should have, I wish I had something else I could tell my younger self was just to find a counselor, find someone that you can work with because it took me, I think a lot longer with the, just my own head. Um, Mm -hmm. but I went to them first as a resource, the court, the sexual assault center, the police referred me, the female cop referred me to them. And so I worked with them for a little bit. And then they have a very good rule where you have to have been cleared for, I think a year where you weren't working with them before you become a volunteer. And so I did, I did my counseling a little bit and then went away from it and then came back and volunteered there. And I loved it. I really loved working on the crisis line. I found like it just, it was very hard because I was still going through it, but it was also very validating, first of all, to know that like, gosh, I don't want this to be other people, but it totally is. But also it felt really good to talk to other people who had been in something similar and who were having a really hard time finding their way out too. And just to sit on the other end and just to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm to see, you know, the, the commonalities with, with the other women and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so many of us, we just want to be validated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As yeah. women in these situations, like we're talking about and, and, you know, have somebody believe you and support you and validate your feelings. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you referred to just feeling like lonely and feeling really isolated. And yeah. that's in part because, I think people don't talk about it. They're not comfortable talking about it. So Jen and I were like, oh my gosh, she's going to come on and she's willing to talk about sexual assault. It's so important and it's so common. Mm-hmm. And I, we really appreciate you, you know, coming on and being willing to, to talk about this and be open about it. Yes. What is, what is something, I mean, you've kind of given us little nuggets throughout this whole time, but what is something that you hope someone takes from this? Someone who maybe has a friend who's been through something or someone who's gone through this, like what would you want them to take from hearing your story? I really hope that anyone who's listening that has experienced this or is currently kind of in the thick of it, I hope that they understand, you know, there's a lot of important conversations going on right now online about, you know, what to do if you're being followed and what to do in these situations. And those are really important conversations to have. And 
we should be having them. But I also think that we need to validate that if you are like me and you were in the situation and you froze, that's okay. That isn't, that happens. And it does not mean that you, first of all, it doesn't mean it was an assault. It doesn't mean you don't respect yourself. I would say just anyone who's listening, who's in the thick of it, just be gentle with yourself as much as you can. And that is hard when you're in that fog, but however you're feeling is valid. And if you're a friend who's supporting somebody who's going through it, try to not use dismissive language, like even something like, you know, if someone's saying, I feel like it was my fault and they say, this wasn't your fault. Instead, just feel that out a little bit with them and say, okay, why do you think this was your fault? And have them, because when they talk it out, they know, they know this wasn't their fault, but that's the feeling. Mm -hmm. And until you get the thread out and you get to the bottom of the thread and go, okay, I, it wasn't my fault. Then all of that stuff just stays inside like the balloon. So yeah. let that person out. If they're trying to tell you something, have them feel that out. Don't dismiss it. And don't try to, don't try to just slap the happy sticker on it and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like it's right. not right now. It's not okay for them. And it doesn't have to be okay for them. No. Just let them, just let them be. And just know that if you didn't react the way that you thought you would in the situation, that doesn't mean that you don't know yourself. It doesn't mean that it is less than, or that you are less than. It is common, especially working on the crisis line. I really did learn a lot about this after from a, just a more, I guess, clinical sterile standpoint, mm -hmm. that this is a very common reaction. And if this is you, that's okay. And if you fought back and you couldn't, you were overpowered, that's okay too. This is not, this is not a one size thing. And I just hope that whoever is listening, if this is them or this is their friend, just takes comfort that we're getting louder. There's more of us speaking out. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that means change. Yeah, for sure. We will definitely link resources for people in the show notes. And Mel, if people want to reach out to you or follow you, I don't know how public you are on social. Is there a way that they can do that or? Sure. Yeah. If you want to reach out, um, I'm on Instagram at MelDFP. I am private because I have my kids on there, but if you reach out and explain why I can accept you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm also on Facebook. If you want a message, if you want to talk, I'm just, I'm here and totally willing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for you. your vulnerability and for, for being so open. Tisha and I both think this is a really important conversation and we really appreciate you for having it with us. Thank you guys. And thank you for doing this. This is such a great platform. And I just really appreciate you guys doing this and taking your experiences and building something like this. It's incredible. So I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much. Aww, thanks thank so you. much. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.